Do you ever wonder how your favorite country artist got to where they are today? We had no fear whatsoever. In fact, we we probably made a lot of mistakes. People go, what are they doing? They're not ready for this. But we were so hungry to be out there in front of people that we probably should have spent a little more time honing our craft <laughs> before we just dove in. Did success come easy or was it a long, hard road? I wasn't sure I was going to make it at all, but I just kept like the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. What advice would they give to a young artist? The greatest advice Elvis ever gave me. If you ever forget where you came from, you're never going to get where you want to go. Meet our co-hosts, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris. They sat down with icons in the music industry, and you've got a front row seat. Welcome to Country Music Success Stories. I'm Candy O'Terry. And I'm J.C. Don Valeris. We've got another two-parter for you. The success story of hit songwriter Steve Dean. This mighty Grammy nominee has written six number one songs, including Watching You by Rodney Atkins, the most played song on country radio in 2007. Recorded at Steve's home just outside of Nashville, this episode is full of wisdom for songwriters just getting started. So if you're an aspiring songwriter, listen up. There is something very special about being welcomed into an artist's home. You're on their turf in their space. And before you know it, they feel comfortable enough to share the stories of their lives. Turns out Steve's parents were both musical. Music was always playing around his house in Little Rock, Arkansas. Oh, there was lots of music going on. My father had an extensive record collection. He loved big band music. And he always told me that big band was the best music there was. And so when the Beatles came along when I was younger, and I said, well, hey, Dad, what about this group? The Beatles, they even have beat in their name. He goes, yeah. He goes, they're good. He goes, but they hadn't got the beat. As we settled into Steve's writing room, I told him a story about how we first met. When I first moved to town, I was a huge fan of yours, and I got booked to do a writers around at the listening room i remember that with you and i, I believe remember. it was also with kelly lang who was another one of our podcast guests mm-hmm. and i think lee roy of the roys my goal that night was to muster up the courage to ask you to write with me and i remember being so nervous about how am i going to ask him i'm going to do it after the show and after the show i walked up to you and before i had the chance you asked me to write with you <laughs> And honestly, it was one of those moments in my career that I just instantly gained confidence as a songwriter. Fantastic. And it was because of you, well, thank you. right off the bat. And I just wanted to thank you so much for doing that for That me. is just awesome. <laughs> We're in a magical room, which is the place where so much of the magic and the music happens. So thanks for having us at your beautiful home, Steve. Absolutely. Glad so to have you. I look around this room and I think when you come in here, do you automatically find your place? Do you start <laughs> writing right away? How does it work? I Some do days are th- easier than others, right? Well, yeah, I do a lot of things in this room. I mean, a lot of writing goes on up here, but I also have a little recording machine over there that I make demos, and not for the market necessarily, just for to upgrade the work tapes, so to speak, you know. But the, yeah, it's it's pretty ins- inspirational room. I, Guitars everywhere and BMI awards all over the walls. Yeah, I had to put them somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of them. <laughs> Musical talent is a magical thing, and sometimes we have it, but it doesn't become real until someone says, you're really good at that. Mm. So if you can go way back, did you have someone who believed in you? Yes, I did. My mother. (laughs) 
Tell us about it. Well, she's a musician, too, was a musician. She passed in 2015, but she was very encouraging. I mean, she played the piano. She taught me how to play the piano, really. I play by ear. I mean, she reads. I used to read, but she taught me where the notes. This is a C right here, and this is a D. And then I said, well, what about the chords? You know, I was about five years old. And my dad is a writer. He, that's what he really wanted to do in his career. I came along and he became an accountant because he said he needed to get a real job. But he wanted to write stories about what y'all are doing or about a church. Or, you know, he would write stories. About life. About life. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah, he would like to have written stories. The writing part just kind of came natural, really. And the music part did, too. And I attribute it to my father and to my mother. Well, let's go back to where you come from. You mentioned when we were walking up these stairs, you come from a place called Arkansas. I do. A place called Little Rock, Arkansas, ah, to be exact. Okay. And Colin Ray likes that too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what life was like in your house. Paint us a picture. Oh, there was lots of music going on. My father had an extensive record collection. He loved big band music. And he always told me that big band was the best music there was. And so when the Beatles came along when I was younger, and I said, well, hey, Dad, what about this group? The Beatles, they even have beat in their name. He goes, yeah. He goes, they're good. He goes, but they hadn't got the beat. (laughs) And so I listened to a lot of big band music growing up. And also he liked R&B, like the Ink Spots and people like that. I mean, it was uh, I, I got a lot of great music from those early days. And my mother loved Andy Williams and people like that. So she was the purest. And uh, and Dad was he liked the beat he felt the music so well you mentioned that your mom taught you how to play the piano she taught you some chords right who gave you your first guitar and how old were you when you started playing I think I was nine years old and my dad got me a guitar <laughs> and it had you know the strings were about I'm making a a uh, like two, about an inch apart <laughs> yeah about yeah they were really way off this and it was hard to play but i they decided to give me guitar lessons and mr Raffay was my guitar teacher he ha, he got me a guitar that was easier to play and to learn on and then he built me my first electric guitar what a moment that must have been right up there up those steps we got to take a picture of that yeah it, it was a kit he didn't build like from scratch but it was a kit but it's one of those guitars that that when I've had guitar players come over here and they've seen it and they go, hey, you want to sell that? And I'm like, no. No way. <laughs> I don't. That's my roots right there. Well, speaking of roots, we are just surrounded by guitars and, like I said, all sorts of awards all over the wall. But I want to ask you about your early songwriting. So many songwriters that we've had the honor of talking to, people like Lori McKenna and mm. Karen Staley and the list goes on and on, they talk about how it started as poems for them. I think Lori McKenna said bad kid poetry, actually, when she described her first songs. How did it happen for you? Well, okay, that's a good question, because at the end of the second grade, my second grade teacher stapled a little note, handwritten note, onto my report card that said, I'm so glad to have you in class this year. I, someday I expect you to be a famous author, Miss Shaddix. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how if one person says that, it plants a seed in your head? In poetry, I wrote a lot of poetry, but also wrote made-up stories like, uh, you know, when they would give us assignments about, okay, you're a book in the library. Write me a story about that. And that's what I would do. And they always thought <laughs> I was pretty creative. I mean, I just would get into it, you know. 
Wow. I'm looking at some of the pictures on the wall. I'm seeing some Beatles pictures, and you already mentioned the Beatles (laughs) before. Who were your musical heroes when you were growing up? Well, obviously the Beatles were. Paul McCartney, to be exact. I mean, I loved them all, but actually, this right here is a, a friend of mine was able to get this for me. I didn't meet him, but this is an autograph of Paul McCartney. Wow. On, on this picture if right anything here. ever happens, grab that right off the wall <laughs> and go running right out of the house. Yeah. Seriously. I but I heard about your love of like bands like the Birds and oh, Bruce yeah. Hornsby and the Range. And I mean, these are all melodic mm-hmm. and groups that write and play and sing. Right. And that's just as the progression of time goes along. I mean, I love Journey, too, for that. Yes, band, you know, yes. Let me think, who else? I mean, there was a lot of rock bands. Doobie Brothers. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I love the Doobie Brothers. I, did, I couldn't, I thought, that's the weirdest name I've ever heard for a group. <laughs> I didn't know what it meant. And then you grew up and figured I, it out. Okay, I got it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Tell us about your decision to pursue a career in country music as a singer-songwriter. How did you make your way to Nashville? Okay, my father's really responsible for me moving over to Nashville. I mean, he wanted me to get a degree in college, And so I went to the University of Arkansas at Little Rock and got a degree in advertising because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, I knew I wanted to do music, but I didn't know how to do that, being in Little Rock. And and his suggestion was get an advertising degree and you can write jingles and use your music talent that way. And I thought, wow, that's a great idea. I mean, I struggled through the first couple of years of college because it was like 13th and 14th grade. But when I got into my degree i loved it and excelled i did that got the degree in advertising and i and i got a job right away in little rock uh, working for an advertiser who was very successful but he put me on the road selling advertising so that didn't last long and then he said well steve maybe you should just go ahead and move to nashville and you can get some established artists to record your songs I said, that's the most unbelievable idea I've ever heard. And so I packed up my little Toyota SR5 coupe and drove to Nashville to become a songwriter. Artist was a distant second. You know, I was thinking about that too, but, and I tried it, but songwriter was the first thing I wanted to do. Paint us a picture of what it was like for you when you arrived here in Nashville. How many years ago was that? Oh, my gosh. All right. It was, to be exact, it was February the 7th, (laughs) 1980. And Nashville was a small town then, right? Compared to what you see now. The the beautiful thing is this, though. So when I decided to leave, I wasn't working this advertising agency. And when I decided that I was going to leave the company because... I could just see it was not what I wanted to do at all. And I was still single, and I thought, this is my opportunity. So I went back to work for a men's clothing store that I worked at while I was in college. And I came back to him and I said, hey, y'all, I'm moving to Nashville in six months. I need a job. I'll be your best salesman. I'm gonna, I'll kick butt. And they hired me back. And the first day back, we're standing out in the parking lot. Me and are on this little veranda thing, me and my, uh, one of the guys that I was working with. There was a car parked out there that had a Nashville license plate. And I went, whose car is that? And he goes, I don't know. It's some guy that works over at the bakery next door. So I said, I'll be right back. I go over to the bakery and open up and nobody's there. And I could, I said, is anybody here? Hey, you know, and somebody goes, hey, I'll be out in a second. He was in the back somewhere. You know, this guy comes out. I go, who's from Nashville around here? He goes, oh, that's me. I go, wow, I'm, I'm moving to Nashville in six months. And he goes, do you have a place to live? And I went, 
no. He goes, well, listen, my mother-in-law is going to China for six months, and she's leaving in six months. She'll be gone for six months. You know, her place needs to be rented for six months. Do you want to go take a look at it? And I went, I'll go up there next week. And so I went up there and looked at it. I couldn't believe it. It's in an area. It's in a great area of town. It's over in West Mead, which if the place wasn't for $200 a month. And I didn't go upstairs. I had the downstairs part. That's what I rented out. Had a fireplace. Had a big kitchen. Great bathroom. I had everything. $200 a month. You know, when things like that happen, I feel like it's almost like the universe saying, this is where you're supposed to be, right? Yeah, it was pretty remarkable. You founded your publishing company, Bethar Music, in 2000. What have you learned about the publishing world and, you know, hanging on to those rights that are so important for songwriters? I really should have licensed some songs more than I did because I, after I talked to some other people, I said, yeah, I licensed that song about 70 times. And they go, really? You should have licensed that song about 200 times. My publishing company, I'm like a back pocket publishing company. You know, I never really had a, a uh, brick and mortar building or anything. And right. which, and how my, how things have changed since then. I mean, 2000 was a long time ago now. Right. It seems like just a blink to me, but it's really been a while. But I still keep the company running and I still have a catalog that I'm adding to every day. Do you remember the first song you had licensed? In this publishing company? Yeah. Wow. Um, I don't. There's a bunch of songs. There have been so many, Steve. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Unbelievable amount. You have an incredible platform called Hits and Grins. We were just talking about uh-huh. it before we started rolling today, where you share stories behind your songs and you get to perform them with other writers. What do you love the most about performing in front of audiences? You spend most of your time in a writer's room, so it must be pretty exciting. It's great to be able to tell the stories. and. You know, songs like Watching You, for example, that one, so many people come up to me and talk to me about, well, that was our song. You know, that was my little boy and me, my song and all that stuff. And I've heard that a zillion times. And I love that. That's what it's all about, really. You are one of the songwriting community's greatest mentors, and you are always willing to pass along great advice to anyone who comes to town. What is one piece of advice that you would pass along to a brand new writer just getting into Nashville? I say one piece. There are so many levels to it. I would say be sure you have a job that you can work to make some money while you're trying to do this. I got lucky because I fell into a publishing situation and automatically started making money, a draw, you know, against my future royalties. But nevertheless, I was able to put food on the table. And the competition is just off the chart crazy and there are a lot of great writers coming to town all the time and so that would just be the first thing i would say right i always tell people to work at a restaurant they can take the night shift and have their days free to write or take the day shift and their nights free to do rounds that's exactly that's a great idea too. yeah the world of music has changed so much like you said writers are no longer making millions of dollars on (laughs) physical album sales (laughs) but now they have platforms like tiktok which also is getting better at paying out royalties What would you tell a new artist about making a living today as a songwriter? There's a young girl from Arkansas that I've been writing with a lot that's really got the TikTok thing down. I don't have that down. I'm trying to. I'm trying to figure out, what is this? You know, I'm trying to figure it out. But she's doing really well at it, and I think she's making income from it. 
knowing how to do that social media thing and how to get the algorithms and all that stuff that they talk about, which totally is over my head. If they get that down right, then I think they can do okay. Even on Spotify and places like that, even though things have gotten better, Pandora, for example, I had a, in 20, this was in 2014, which is already a long time ago. I was noticing all these streams on a song called Chasing Girls that was uh, Rodney Atkins. Uh, he was the artist on it. And I'm like, good Lord. I mean, so it got like 18 million streams in one year. It started out summer fun chasing Allie Brooke with a water gun. She'd laugh and she'd scream. She'd run and say, you can't catch me. Well, time passed. I turned 16. Cruising from the Sonic to the Dairy Queen, yeah. Running the roads, we ruled like kings. We'd say, hey, here comes Allie with her hot friends. Oh, they got water balloons in their hands. Oh, man, they got me. Now let's get $600 for 18 million streams. And actually, it, would have, it, it was 300 for my writer's share and also on my publishing share, so it was 300 for that too. So then that was just in 2014. I quit looking after that. It's just like, I don't even want to know. <laughs> you know. Boy, it's a whole different way of doing business, isn't it? It is. The time we spent with Steve Dean was so special. To be honest, we didn't want it to end. We couldn't wait to talk to him about all of the stories behind his biggest hits. Do not miss part two of his country music success story. Part two also includes Steve's commitment to an organization called Freedom Sings USA, where soldiers turn their experiences into songs. And let me tell you, there were tears when he told us all about it. We'll be dropping part two with Steve Dean before you know it, so keep an eye out for it. Don't go far. There they are, Candy O'Terry and J.C. Don Valeris, two award-winning interviewers who are respected and trusted right here in Nashville. Do us a favor and hit that subscribe button right now and tell your friends about the show. Follow them at Country Music Success Stories and on TikTok at Candy and J.C. 